and welcome to the Trial Talk podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Hartley, and I'm a Science Communications Officer at the MRC Clinical Trials Unit at UCL. In this show, we explore the clinical trial landscape by talking to the clinicians and researchers behind the work we do. If you're interested in learning how our research can help improve healthcare in the UK and around the world, this is the podcast for you. This is the final part of our series on Stampede, one of the largest ever prostate cancer clinical trials. If you haven't listened to the earlier parts yet, part one will give you a bit more background to the trial's history and design, and part two is all about the patient voice and the importance of patient and public involvement in Stampede. Stampede opened in 2005 and closed recruitment at the end of March 2023. In this episode, we're looking at the impact of Stampede with the trial's chief investigator, Professor Nick James, and the inventor of the multi-arm, multi-stage trial design, Professor Max Palmer. My name is Professor Max Palmer. I'm director of the MRC Clinical Trials Unit at UCL, and uh, I'm a statistician by training and have a particular interest in how we can speed up the evaluation of new agents to uh, improve outcomes for patients as quickly as possible through randomized clinical trials. I'm Professor Nick James. I'm Professor of Prostate and Bladder Cancer Research at the Institute of Cancer Research and the Royal Marston Hospital in London. And I have a long-standing interest in the treatment of advanced prostate cancer. When recruitment closed, the trial reached a total of nearly 12,000 participants, 165 researchers involved, and over 5,000 NHS staff all working on Stampede over the years. So what's it like to be part of such a huge project? It's both been a pleasure and uh, both uh, really quite humbling to be part of such a big project. Uh, What's interesting is that you need all these areas of expertise and all the um, people involved to make it a success. Uh, And without the different areas of expertise, it it would not have been a success. And without these different groups of people, both at the hospitals, the nurses, the patients, the doctors, the central staff, the clinicians helping to design and run the study, the statisticians, the trial and data managers, all these different areas of expertise, without all of them there, this would not have worked. And to imagine that we've all come together to produce this wonderful output Uh, and able to improve outcomes for patients with prostate cancer in our lifetimes is is just is is delightful i like to liken it to the large hadron collider you know you know publishing atom smashing experiments because they they will have this sort of number of people involved it's it's just been amazing and I, i think it means that Sort of UK Euro Oncology as a whole has a big sense of ownership of the whole thing, which has gone a long way to making sure the results get implemented as well. In a trial as big as Stampede, perhaps unsurprisingly, the team have released many sets of results over the years. Nick James explains how the huge pool of participants allowed the team to draw some interesting conclusions from the control arm. So the first papers that we put out were about outcomes in the control arm, and there were some really very interesting findings from those. So the first was that um, we didn't really, that, that one of the things we did in Stampede, we assumed that patients with high-risk non-metastatic prostate cancer and metastatic disease were kind of on a continuum and that the effect 
of the hormone therapies or whatever else we added on top would be also on a continuum. And um, so in order to see whether that was really true, we kind of, one of the things we needed to do was publish outcomes from the control arm. So the first thing we did was publish two papers from the control arm, the M0s and the M1s we published separately. And um, we, we were able to get some quite interesting insights from this, which nobody really knew. So the first was that everybody kind of had this impression that young patients get worse prostate cancer than older patients. But we were able to show, because we had so many patients in the trial, thousands already by this point, that this was indeed true, that younger patients, the youngest cause were were substantially worse in terms of their outcomes. They, they, and normally, that, and that's the reverse of, <clears throat> of what you see in most cancers. Mostly age is a continuous risk factor. The older you are, the, the, the worse you do. But in prostate cancer, it turned out the older you are, the better you did, which was really very surprising. Um, and then the second thing we were able to show was that we, because we didn't know whether you should be giving radiotherapy to the patients with non-metastatic disease or not, uh, it was separate trials looking at addressing that. We just left it open to investigators that the right give radiotherapy or not, depending on whether you think you should. But what we showed was that you halved the chance of recurrence by radiating the lymph nodes um, with technology already available 15 years ago and much better technology for doing it now. There are no, there are still no randomised trials in that space, so ours is still the best evidence that you should irradiate the lymph nodes. Uh, and that was a spin-off from just having lots of patients in the trial and, and actually being, um, you know, a kind of joke I recycle frequently is that um, we adopted the Frank Sinatra approach to how, how we did standard of care, which is to say clinicians did it their way. And we just collected the data on what they did and then, you know, grouped them accordingly. So that's the control arm, but the majority of patients taking part in Stampede were randomised into one of the experimental treatment arms. Some of these comparisons led directly to changes in clinical practice, which have ultimately improved and extended the lives of many people with advanced prostate cancer. The first trial arms that read out were actually negative, so the celecoxib arms did not improve outcomes sufficiently. But then the first of the things that got through all the way to the final stage of analysis with those taxol, and that showed a survival advantage of about a 25% gain in survival, which translated to about 18-month improvement. And that uh, we were actually beaten to that particular result by a smaller American trial called Charted and a, and a, and a still smaller French trial called Jeffrey 15. Um, so we kind of had the casting vote, and yeah, we more than doubled the the, the, the numbers of patients treated with docetaxel in trials of that sort. Following publication of the docetaxel results in 2015 and campaigning by the prostate cancer community, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, NICE, recommended this chemotherapy drug to treat newly diagnosed advanced or high-risk prostate cancer. It soon became available on the NHS as part of standard care. By that time, more new treatment arms had opened. One of these was a new form of hormone therapy called abiraterone. The first drug we added to the trial was abiraterone. And because we were adding to a trial that was recruiting at 100 centres, that recruited incredibly quickly. So just for comparison, we started this in 2011. The French started a trial called Peace One with the same design in 2011. Piece one is going to be presenting its final results at ASCO this year. We presented our results on the same sorts of analyses uh, in 2017. 
So the, the multi-arm um, adding arm approach was extraordinarily efficient in terms of getting the numbers in fast. And what we showed was that abrasion improved survival probably by a bigger amount than those taxol. And so abiraterone can reduce the risk of death in men across the disease spectrum, whether their cancer has already spread or is at high risk of doing so. It can also help stop the cancer spreading if it hasn't already. But there's still work to be done to make sure all prostate cancer patients can benefit from these findings. While NHS Scotland agreed to make abiraterone available for men with newly diagnosed advanced prostate cancer, this is not the case throughout the whole UK. NICE has rejected the use of abiraterone for newly diagnosed patients. This means it's only an option for men in England once their cancer has stopped responding to standard hormone therapy. Now, rather disappointingly, um, we're still not able to treat patients across that broader spectrum of disease within the NHS, but almost all international guidelines have taken our results on board. So apart from UK residents, in fact, now England residents, not even Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, you, um, you will get that as part of your treatment. Another form of treatment now recommended straight away for those with newly diagnosed advanced prostate cancer is radiotherapy. And the third thing that changed practice was giving radiotherapy to the primary in patients with disease that had already spread at diagnosis. And what we showed was that this improved outcomes but only for men with small volumes of spread. If you've got, simplistically, if you've got 100 sites that spread irradiating 5% of the disease or less in the primary, didn't affect your outcome. If you only had one or two sites of spread, you've got an improvement of about a third in your survival. So, so we, you know, we've had a wealth of, of, A, important results, but also results that added extra sharpness and detail to the trials that other people did. Accounting for all these results from different treatment arms, I asked our researchers to summarise Stampede's overall impact on prostate cancer patients. If we had for patients with metastatic disease, an approximate uh, median survival, let's say, of three years uh, when we started Stampede, I suspect now we've probably been pushing that up to about seven years uh, with all the interventions that we have um, um, shown to be successful. Uh, as Nick says, that's not just Stampede, that's Stampede together with other trials. But in all of those situations, Stampede has been a huge contributor of data and has allowed us to make really clear statements about the effect size and whether it exists and across a broader range of individuals than would have been done by individual, often much smaller trials. So we've tested now 10 different research arms uh, since we started in 2005, now we're in 2023. And since 2015, we get a new major result for an arm every two years, 18 months to two years. So that investment of time and, and the structure and now uh, uh, and the, the speed of accrual now means that the results are emerging every 18 months to two years. And... Um, and what we're finding is that we're not only getting these results, but a number of them are positive and we're changing treatment in that timescale and we're changing outcomes for patients in that timescale, which would have been unheard of and unimaginable almost 15 years ago.
It's also worth pointing out in that context that you know, we've put 12,000 men through the trial, most of whom have been in experimental arms, and most of the experimental arms have improved survival. So just by going in the trial, we've extended the survival of many, many thousands of men by many years. You know, thanks to the trial, there's, there's literally thousands of men who've got to dance at their granddaughter's wedding that they wouldn't have been at otherwise, which yeah, is quite a lovely thought, really. The clinical impact of Stampede is undeniable. Now, what about the multi-arm, multi-stage design, which is being used across many trials in many different disease areas? Now, looking back, of course, uh, the whole design and idea and approach looks obvious. Why wouldn't you do this? And of course, this is a question asked by many patients. Why don't? Why aren't all of your trials? designed like this? And that's a really hard question to answer. And and, and the only way you can answer is that the, the structures and the systems and the funding mechanisms and the ability to collaborate prevents you doing that. Well, that's not a really very, very good answer at all to that question. Um, having said that, now there are many, many more trials using this sort of design, probably uh, over the uh, order of 100 trials of this sort of type using a, a MAMS or similar type design, a multi-arm, multi-stage platform type design applied in all sorts of different areas. A good uh, example is that during the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, the, the multi-arm, multi-stage design was a, a very common design for an, a number of the, the treatments being evaluated uh, and potentially being proposed as uh, treatments for COVID. And it was used very successfully, both in the UK and internationally, to quickly get answers to questions about whether treatments did improve COVID outcomes. And many of the treatments did not improve outcomes for patients with COVID, but some of them did. And we were able to get those answers very quickly using this sort of design. One area where MAMS trials could have big potential is neurodegenerative diseases. Max explains why. I think it's particularly relevant in in the same the situation we were in in prostate cancer in 2000s where little or no progress had been made for decades and we really need to change the game in how we might uh, improve outcomes so uh, that's why neurodegenerative disease is such an important area in many neurodegenerative diseases we've made little or no progress for decades and very few treatments are available for patients with these horrible diseases and the only way we'll make faster progress uh, is by doing this sort of design thankfully um, that's been acknowledged and recognized by the funders and collaborators and researchers, and most importantly, the patient groups who've been big drivers in making this happen, uh, uh, meaning that these sorts of trials are being designed in these sorts of areas. Stampede may have closed recruitment, but the work doesn't end yet. There are two treatment arms still running, where patients will continue to take their medication and attend clinical checkups. Nick tells us more about the two treatments being tested. So the two arms that are about to read out, one of them is, is, a, is a joint project with a, a trial that pre-existed called PATCH, which is testing estrogen patches as an alternate way of doing androgen deprivation. That trial was designed by uh, a chap called Paul Abel, who's, uh, who I've known since we both knew the doctors, who sadly died recently. And so he sadly won't get to see the final result of his trial. But... Um, that potentially, that's not aimed at improving survival, it's aimed at in, uh, reducing complications of treatment. So that's going to be very interesting to see if we nail that. I think we probably will. And then the second thing, metformin, again, this is a diabetes drug 
that affect the sort of energy sort of balance in cancer cells disproportionately to normal cells. So that it, we hope it will improve survival. But it again also potentially has beneficial effects on things like the tendency of patients to gain weight and uh, become diabetic, have heart disease issues. So we may, even if we don't improve survival, again, improve other things of value to the patient. Work has also begun on setting up Stampede 2, a second clinical trial for patients whose cancer has spread beyond the prostate. And then Stampede 2, so we've, um, uh, we've got three new treatments and following the principle, they're all different. They're all from different classes. Um, and we've designed it in a modular fashion. So it is a multi, it's not quite multi-arm in the same way as Stampede 1 was. Um, it's kind of sort of modular and they, they fit together as a, as a sort of trio, but you can operate any one of the three alone. So we're in discussion with quite a large number of international groups around operating one or two, probably not all three, of these randomizations internationally. So very excited about that. As well as academic institutions working together, Stampede 2 will continue to make use of partnerships within the pharmaceutical industry. Nick explains how pharmaceutical companies helped fund individual arms of the trial, testing drugs that they had developed. So I'd like to particularly acknowledge that the pharmaceutical companies support. The pharmaceutical industry gets a lot of stick, but in relation to Stampede, our various partners have been very supportive and I think behave very honourably and with a degree of altruism. For example, the dose tactical results, we're not going to read out until after the Sanofi patent on dose tactical expired. So they were never going to benefit from selling up front dose tactical. Um, I mean, they must have had their own commercial reasons for supporting the trial, but um, they carried on supporting it after their patent ran out. And the same applies to Janssen with Aberasteron. And again, they, they, they get indirect benefits from it. But I think... Um, they have been very generous supporters of the trial and um, uh, and have collaborated with each other, which we know is something they find difficult um, for their own internal commercial agenda reasons. So I think it, it's important to recognise yeah, the, 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 the literally tens of millions of pounds of support we have had in drug and um, running costs from the various pharmaceutical partners. We couldn't absolutely couldn't have done it without them. With Stampede 2 now in the setup stage, what impact do our researchers hope to see in another 20 years' time? I think what we should be aiming for is a situation where patients with metastatic disease um, have little or no chance of dying of their prostate cancer. And uh, when we started, if you remember, the median survival approximately of men with prostate cancer was of the order of three years. And I think what we want to get to is a stage where, or a situation where we have little or no chance of dying of their disease. Um, these are older men, of course, so they, they probably have chance of, of other conditions. And, uh, and we're a long way onto that path. Uh, it was probably a real pipe dream when we started. And I'm, I think if we can get to a stage where patients with metastatic disease are like with patients are the large proportion of patients with non-metastatic disease, most of whom do not die of their prostate cancer. They live quite well with their prostate cancer and to all intents and purposes are cured from their disease. Um, that's where we want to get to with M1 disease. 
Um, I would hope that we would, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, get get to there or very close to there. I, I don't think that's an unrealistic aim. And on a more personal level, what does it mean to have worked on this trial, which has extended and improved the lives of so many people? You just continually reminded of the, the personal impact of this. I mean, just just rather randomly, you know, several members of my mother-in-law's golf club were involved in the trial and things like this. And you know, and 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 and, and, and as it turns out, in arms that improved their survival. So you know, you just get indirect gratitude, and you just realise what a huge impact it had on so many people's lives. Um, you know, at a personal level, but also the at an international level and the trial design level, it shows that you know, what you can do with the NHS with a single funder system and a you know support for trials. St. Peter's been a really good example of collaborative long-term research with multi-partner collaboration. Regarding Stampede itself, I think it's been uh, a, both a pleasure and an honour to be involved in being able to design Stampede and then actually conduct it. Most importantly, um, that we've been able to, as a consequence of this new design and being able to undertake it over a period of now 17 and a half years uh, to change the outcomes for patients with prostate cancer in such a marked way that has had an impact on patients, not just in this country, but worldwide. But not only that, uh, we have been able to, as a consequence of the all the methodological work we've done alongside Stampede about these designs, and also by conducting the, the trial, shown a way forward for many other areas, uh, including um, infectious diseases, um, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, and a whole range of other areas, how they, ca- uh, they might and now can change uh, outcomes more quickly in their own areas. And um, it, it will, it's just gratifying to see uh, that being developed now uh, and the UK being a leader in this field of, of doing these sorts of trials, uh, but also seeing other countries in the world coming together to do these sorts of trials in, a, in this variety of areas. Um, uh, I think we're just very, both very lucky and somewhat humbled by what Stampede has allowed us to do. Thank you for listening. This was the final part of our series on the Stampede clinical trial. Stampede was funded by Cancer Research UK and the Medical Research Council, with extra support from a number of pharmaceutical companies. Sanofi Aventis, Pfizer, Novartis, Janssen, Estellus and Clovis. If you'd like to learn more about Stampede, there's lots of information on the MRCCTU at UCL website and at stampedetrial.org.